0: Hey folks, and welcome to this week's podcast. Michael Shelley here. We are together this week because Ken Nordine has passed away. He was a guest on this program in 2008. He died a couple days ago. He was 98 years old. He had an interesting career, interesting life, interesting lifestyle. I think we cover all of that here. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, I want to remind you that in uh, just a few days, really, March 3rd, our fundraiser starts WFMU is a vital and worthwhile cause to donate to. I really do believe that, or I wouldn't say it. Uh, I've made a uh, premium. We call it a premium. It's sort of a thank-you gift for folks who pledge. Uh, This year, the premium for my show is a 21-track CD uh, of bands recording 1970s cover tunes... All uh, some amazing bands, bands you've heard of, real well-known bands. You can see the full list and hear samples over at WFMU.org slash Michael. Uh, More on this in uh, podcasts to come, but do yourself a favor. Go to WFMU.org slash Michael and and check it out. Uh, Also, next week, the Cactus Blossoms will be live on the podcast, and... uh, it's going to be fantastic. They've got a brand new record called Easy Way coming and it's great. Also, one thing, check stay make sure you stay till the end of this podcast because at the very end I asked um Ken Nordine to do some improvisation. I played a little instrumental clip and asked him to just make up some word jazz on the spot and he didn't let me down. So make sure you just stick around till the very end. Uh that's it. Hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Here's Ken Nordine.
1: olive, poor thing, sits and thinks that it's drab, sure does, sits and sits and sits and sits and thinks about its olive drab drab, doesn't know that it is about to be named color of the year. By those with a nose for the new, by the passionate few. Yeah. Olive is definitely in. Everything that can possibly mean anything, anywhere, at least for a year, has got to be Olive. Did you hear that, Olive? Did you? Know what it means? Oh, olive. There'll be olive cars and olive trucks and olive chickens and olive ducks and olive socks and olive garters and olive brakes and olive starters. Olive sorry, olive please, olive whatnots and olive trees. Olive trees. What a quaint notion. (laughs) Olive trees.
0: Well how are you
2: well i'm tired of uh, short days and long nights
0: are you a fan of of summer
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, I think i'm a fan of light <laughs> It's the lengthening of the light
0: well, you're in Chicago where they have what they call the hawk it's a It's a cold place to
2: be yeah constantly they're, they're, we've i I have a friend who um, is a saint, he comes to help me uh, shovel, so I, my uh, the cause of death won't be a uh, snow shovel.
0: <laughs> were you born in 1920? Is that accurate?
2: That's right. So I'll be uh, 88 in, uh, next April.
0: Wow. Uh, what were your first memories of sound?
2: As a child? Yeah. The sound...
0: You can remember that?
2: Yeah. It was... a. Uh, uh, my mother was a nurse uh, in more ways than one a very, very smart woman but she had me uh, in her mind toilet trained at the age of nine months and what she would do she would hold me over the john and and like Pavlov I would hear and I would urinate uh, like uh, automatically Pavlovian so I do remember. In fact, I just finished doing a thing called "The Essence of S," which is uh, done to with a, with a lot of sibilants. I don't know how many words there are that start with the letter S, but just looking at the dictionary, it's, there's a lot of them. So, so I wrote a, a thing that uh, that I'm going to put on YouTube, I guess, about the essence of S.
0: You're always up to some shenanigans.
2: Well, the part of my sanity, or I think anyone's sanity, is to be preoccupied.
0: Do you consider your voice an instrument, like a musical instrument?
2: Yeah, definitely. That, that, when puberty came and my voice dropped, uh, I be, really became preoccupied with, with the sound uh, of, the, of the voice, because you know, that was quite a, a change from talking up in here to down in here and then girls would say hey you should be on the radio and of course as, at the age of puberty you listen to girls very closely
0: <laughs> and from then on as well
2: yeah uh, and that's why the, the word jazz I think of, of the, the sound of what I do is very much as, as an instrument and the thing I like about jazz with it is that with this uh, structure of language, it, instead of taking being notes uh, uh, that you're singing, actually it's uh, notes with laced with words, the language that we use and Were, the rhythms of the words.
0: Was there lots of music in your house as a kid?
2: Oh, I was given a violin at the age of five as a present uh, for taking castor oil. <laughs> I have a picture of myself with a a little Swedish folk costume on at the age of five, playing the violin in the summer of a backyard.
0: And were you any good?
2: I played just, I was going to become a concert violinist. (laughs)
0: Uh, the voices on the radio, m- announcer voices, in the t- late 20s and 30s when you were a little kid were very different from how they are now and how, how you sound. Did you listen to them and think, that's wrong, or did you try to imitate that?
2: No. You're, you know, the first guy I imitated really was Orson Welles. But actually, I, uh, after I learned uh, to uh, be more interested in what the words meant, uh, you, you get to the point that you forget your voice per se. You just uh, use it.
0: So did you have some training? Did you go to school?
2: I went to the Northwestern School of Speech and flunked out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and did you ever have to take a real job or did you start making a living with your voice right away?
2: Well, I... I maybe it was the voice that did it for me. I My first real job was... Uh, at the Board of Education uh, radio station, WBEZ, which is now the big NPR outlet in Chicago. But in those days, it was FM, and FM was nowhere at, way back then. And uh, they would uh, pump these little programs into uh, school, grammar schools and high schools, at uh, two times a week. We were on the air, I think total of four hours a week and uh, that was a lot of fun I worked with a lot of people that uh, continued on in the business
0: how did you parlay that into commercial work
2: well I, I got a job after I I used WBEZ for uh, for their stationery because it said you know Radio Chicago and I got a job in Bay City Michigan that paid uh, thirty dollars a week it was uh, I think I paid three dollars a week for the room that I had and
0: that was as a, f- a full-time announcer on a music station
2: yeah there was a uh, in fact I had a, a a disc jockey show called Heat Wave where I'd uh, play two records at the same time <laughs> Bill Spitalny and Charlie Barnett the, 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 Bill Spitalny with his girl orchestra and uh, Charlie Barnett with the sax wailing behind and if you could pick out what uh, the two records where you'd get a free ticket to the bijou theater <laughs> the program director uh, uh became quite angry with
0: me yeah well even then you were up to shenanigans
2: yeah it was well uh, but after i left there i went to uh, i said well the heck with this i'm going to go to uh, to uh, where it's nice and warm so i sent a acetate to um, of uh, my voice to three places to Hilo, Hawaii, to Colorado Springs, and to West Palm Beach. They all wanted me to go there to each of their places, but it was too far away to go to Hilo and to Colorado Springs, so I went to uh, West Palm Beach. I drove an old guy down to Jacksonville and hitchhiked the rest of the way to West Palm. I had a hell of a good time there because uh, I had the night trick, you know. And at midnight, when they sign off, mm-hmm. uh, I asked the engineer, I said, well, what happens after you sign off, you know, the you know, star-spangled banner? And all." you know, we turn the carrier off. Well, what's the carrier? Well, that's what the the sounds go out on our broadcast on. Well, could you keep it on, you know, after the star-spangled banner? We could put on a little sound effect or something. Oh, yeah, he was ready for that. So... I would uh, maybe, after the Star Spangled Banner, a little pause, and then I'd knock on a door and have the door creak open. (laughs) Figuring that somebody left their radio on would scare the hell out of them. (laughs) Or one night I'd put on uh, doves cooing. (laughs) And I, I gave a talk at the high school and the uh, teacher there, uh, the, uh, he said, you know, I I heard the uh, transmitter cooling down the other day. I didn't tell him a the thing. I said, my <laughs> goodness. Hmm. <laughs> and
0: how long were you down there?
2: Oh, I, I was down there for about a year. And then with the, we started the union, and oh, man, that was the end of that. They They didn't like that. But... But it was fun. I had a great time. Then I got a job in Chicago at an FM station at CBS in Chicago. I came back to my hometown. And and I worked the FM station there until I went upstairs, as we used to think about it. And I did uh, work on uh, AM. So that's how that started.
0: And right around this time, I guess, the Second World War must have been starting. Did uh, you get drafted?
2: No, because I have very poor eyes. I didn't, was not drafted. I was 4F, as they called it.
0: Oh, lucky for you.
2: Yeah, it was. There's a lot of that. Also helped me because all the guys who could see were taken into the army or the navy, wherever they went. And so I went upstairs and took their place mm. and for a short period of time. Then I went freelance.
0: And I guess the, the war was over. Television sort of started heating up, and you got involved in some television.
2: Just beginning then, in, in black and white, there was no color at first, I did a, um, a show called Faces in the Window, which was uh, on at midnight or after the uh, the car, used car salesman got off the air. He, you know, he had a film, and then he would put on his commercials. He, I guess he left town. He, he, he took the money and ran, but anyway.
0: The used car salesman actually hosted... a. A, a program, a film?
2: Yeah, a, a film at the time. Huh. And, you know, he'd cut in for commercials. And at uh, usually around midnight or 11, whatever, whenever the film was over in his commercial, I would come on. It was usually around midnight. And I'd read uh, with one camera on me at all. That's all just one and very close up and dim light. So I could hardly see the what I was reading. I would do Poe and de Maupassant and Dostoevsky. I'd, I'd read short stories that would scare the hell out of people.
0: <laughs> kind of like early Twilight Zone.
2: Yeah, very much like that. But really, in fact, I, it was a, I found out later on that a lot of the kids who were listening to it, it, it was a, it's a, they would turn the lights off, the boys and girls, and they'd, they'd get scared and they'd be hugging each other. So in a way, I was a catalyst. For uh, romance hmm. or early sexual explorations,
0: around this time there were what is now known as the Beats, and that is a group of folks that you are always identified with. And I'm wondering, a, how do you feel about that? And b, is that a label that was sort of slapped on afterwards and is really irrelevant?
2: Yeah, people, people, you know, they someone tried to categorize what I was doing along with what was being done in San Francisco you know when uh Howell and allen ginsberg and serengeti or, but there was a lot of angst in what they did i i was not so much into angst i i I liked the dark humor a little more you know like a guy trying to figure out what nothing was hmm.
0: tell me how this led to your record word jazz which came out in 57
2: Well, very interesting. uh, Billy Vaughn was the guy that wanted me to be on this record. Dot Records wanted me to do Shifting the Spring Sands, which was a a hit for them. So I read the thing, and I got all of a sudden. It's on the air and on the jukeboxes, and you know an ego trip listening to myself. And at Dot, they say, well, can you do anything else, you know, do you have anything? Well, I had done a lot of things with an engineer by the name of Jim Cunningham in a basement in Highland Park. Ostensibly, it was word jazz. That's where uh, Hunger Is From came, or the or the stranger that comes into our town.
0: So you guys yeah. were just jam?
2: Yeah, just jam. Just uh, ad-libbing and doing it to music. So I sent them the word jazz things, and they, they came up with it, and it was an immediate hit. It was called "Work Jazz," somewhat new medium.
0: And this is 1957, and this is Dot Records, the home yeah,
2: of Pat 50, Boone. Fifty years ago, yeah. Pat that's... Boone. Pat Boone was one of their big stars.
0: Yeah. What, so, what were they expecting from you? What,
2: what? They didn't know what I was. A fellow by the top, name of Tom Mack—I don't think he's around anymore—was the A and R guy, and they just let me go. They let me swing, and it was amazing because. Uh, it caught on. It was a big, uh, very strange. The, I got a call from uh, Bud York and, and uh, from uh, Fred Astaire for, to do a, a special, to be on a special that uh, Fred Astaire danced to one of the cuts called My Baby, which was a you know, a play on the fact that the word baby is used so much in popular music. Hey, baby, you know, I love my baby. My baby loves me. We went out together, you know. And so Fred Astaire and Barry Chase, a dancer that he had with him, they danced to the track. And they called me out there. It's now on YouTube, by the way. If you do a search on my name with Fred Astaire, you'll see me as I looked fifty years ago with dark hair, you know, and skinny.
0: Yeah, I watched it. It was it was fascinating. Uh, I guess Fred Astaire was just a fan. Mm-hmm. Do you write in a notebook, or do you do you just make stuff up?
2: I write out things a lot, some of them. Some of them I just make up. There's a different field to each one. When you write, then you have to have the, the, the ability to, to make it seem like you're not reading. Which... Uh, that's a trick that you have to learn.
0: Who coined the the phrase word
2: jazz? I did. And the reason I did is that I love jazz, because jazz begins with an agreement among a group of players that the structure of the tune that they're playing, they all know what it is. And they all give each other space, and they take off on the melody. So they don't, they're don't; they not the only structure that they have, if you will is the harmonic changes that are involved well the same thing is true in the structure of language you take an idea and uh, it becomes a springboard for you to, for a flight fancy
0: when you guys would do this what was the success ratio did you did you keep everything, or 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 when you were making the recordings that turned out to be the many sort of word jazz records, was there a lot of stuff you discarded? Or? No,
2: it was all one take. Most of the things I do are like one take when I do them. Hmm. The uh, Colors, for example, are you familiar with that?
0: Colors, I believe, started as commercials for a paint company? Exactly. And they just exactly. said to you, can you do what you do f- about color?
2: They, they, they gave me three, three compunctions. They said, you have to mention Fuller Paint Company. Then you have to do a color. And then you have to say a century of leadership in the chemistry of color at the end. So I had absolute freedom. So I picked out the colors that I, you know, like yellow, blue, chartreuse. And,
0: uh, I love olive is one of my
2: favorite. Olive, poor thing.
0: it's It's amazing that anyone would let anyone do whatever they wanted in these this day and age it seems
2: well that was 1967 when i did that the agencies were really looking for something when they they hadn't learned yet that that uh, freedom is 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 a terrible thing to give to someone because in certain instances there was a fear that it would circumvent the agency
0: colors came out in i think on, on phillips records and it's a an, it's a great record and the music is fantastic behind everything is that all made up just at the same you know, the time the music
2: was done by a fellow dick campbell an extraordinary musician who played drums and uh, piano or flute. like many great musicians he could he could play anything you know so uh, he did. Uh, he did, we did that album. In two, I wrote it, and we did it in two days. Mm-hmm. The whole thing.
0: Uh, tell me, where does Hot Saki by Ken Nordine and his kinsmen? Oh, that,
2: that, that was the guy who. That, that was not mine at all. That that was the Just fellow to... who used to be here and wanted me to do that. You know, you always do do certain things that uh, are a little off the beaten track uh, that you. Want to have it for yourself? I did that as a favor for it. Nothing came of it. It was a, it was an attempt. By, it actually that was done. I did the track in Chicago, and it was done out in Hollywood.
0: Didn't make you rich. Oh
2: God, no. Uh. Nothing. The record has never made me rich in that sense because they, you know, they. It was done at a time when the boys were in charge of a lot of things.
0: If you know what I mean, I,
2: I, it's still there's still a you no know, when there's a whatever whatever has a lot of money involved with it. There's always a, a crowd of people around it who are very helpful in seeing <laughs> that the money is divided the way they would like it to be divided.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: I was born in 1964, and so growing up as a kid in the late 60s, early 70s, your voice was everywhere. It was just coming out of every speaker there was a <laughs> uh, taster's choice and levi's yeah.
2: and yeah they my my mother got was very religious and she said can you you got to serve god or mammon and i said well god's nice but mammon you know you can make some money with, with mammon so <laughs> i i did both i tried to you know please her by doing something that was Close to the heart. And I, and I tried to please the, the people I was working with by doing something that was tasteful and uh, made money for me and, and helped them. It was ball.
0: Yeah. So how busy were you during your busiest time as a commercial voiceover guy?
2: Very. Very busy.
0: And you're, you were still in Chicago? Yeah. So how many sessions a day?
2: I'd fly around, you know, and I'd do things there. I'd do things in New York. I'd fly to Toronto I did Molson and that type of thing up there you know was, I had a lot of air miles but uh, <laughs> I, I was very fortunate yeah
0: you talk about trying to balance your artistic side with the commercial side that's a very interesting idea
2: a lot of a lot of people do that and, it's, and if you can make it so that they combine uh, I think of the Norman Rockwell who was thought of being uh, sort of a commercial artist, magazine illustrator. Very interesting that his works now are selling for millions.
0: You've still got a weekly show Sunday at uh, midnight on Chicago Public Radio. Is that something you're still
2: creating new episodes? That's a compilation of stuff that is accumulated. It's actually some of the same things that are on on, uh, audible.com. Unfortunately, the the quality of of the of that type is about 35, as opposed to the MP3, which is 125 bits.
0: Mm. You've got and, WordJazz.com. There's some great stuff up there as well. Yeah,
2: on the website I have some things, and then of course on YouTube. Yeah. So, what is the future for you? Well, I, I'm, as I say, I just I, I was doing some research on how snowflakes are created. You know, they, they its funny. Is it's a speck of dust. Usually, if there weren't for dirt, there wouldn't be any beautiful white snowflakes. Because in the clouds, where things are in colloidal suspension, there are a lot of there's a lot of dust. And each speck of dust, um, when moisture gets around it and the temperature is just right, will form one of four different kinds of crystals. It's, so they're not all alike. But. Uh, damnedest thing the, the white stuff falls down and covers up the ugly dirt <laughs> so winter looks a little better for a short period of time until it goes to slush
0: well Ken Nardine I've got a very short piece of music queued up here and I was wondering if you could create something just off the cuff for us it's about 44 seconds of music
2: 44 seconds yeah
0: okay. so, do you want to hear it once first no
2: Yeah, think of the time it takes to tell your fingers where they're going to go as you're playing, and then what if you get there, I mean at the end of what you're playing, and there's uh, (laughs) no applause.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
1: Mine, too. I have a, a sort of a secret. I um, have become a bubblegum fancier um, because my kids collect these cards, you see, pictures of sports people are. But um, the way it works out, I um, wind up chewing all the gum. I like to see go to waste. And so I... Uh, I've been chewing this bubble gum because I, like I like the taste of it. More on that, I... I'm getting pretty good at blowing bubbles. Which is... Uh, Wait, you see this, wall? Wait till I get this ready. Mmm. Makes me feel very restful. Love. I should leave. Chewy gum, it gives me a sense of peace and relaxation. Something to do with your mouth, you know what? Maybe it comes from my childhood, I don't know. It's just about ready now. You should have seen the bubble I blew yesterday. So big I nearly floated away. Uh, It's just about ready now. It's quite a trick, you know. Isn't everyone that can get the science of blowing up these bubbles the way they should be. Yeah. I think it's ready now. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, that was a little pop It wasn't ready yet. Just a second now. No, you're getting better. I don't care what everyone's been saying. You're getting better. They're the ones who've been getting worse. And uh, they don't like what you've been doing, understandably. Do you think they can watch you strip yourself of one unnecessary thing after another, day by day becoming more, so to speak, naked, more free, and not feel the way they do? Of course not. It's painful to get rid of things you don't need, and they know it. They wouldn't be saying what they've been saying if they didn't want you to stop. They want you to be the way they are, and to stay that way. You think they can stand to see you not doing what they're doing? Why do you think you're being investigated right now? Hmm? Why do you think you're under maximum security? You know the answer, I don't know. They're afraid of you. It's that simple. They're afraid of you because you're becoming less and less like them. I'll tell you what's happening to you. You're coming closer and closer to the far away, closer to the uh, unknown. Do you think they like that? Not on your life. So don't, don't get nervous and start asking for help. That's exactly what they want you to do. Make it on your own, the way you've been doing. And remember, you're getting better. Excuse me now, I have to uh, go. I'll just dissolve right here in front of you. you. See you. See you. See you. See you. Right now, Before we go anyplace else, I want you to go with me to a special place that I know. It's a museum. But it isn't an ordinary museum. It's a very abstract museum in which they show sound paintings. If you can say that you show sound. But I don't see why you can't. But here we are in this corridor. Some of the most beautiful works of art are here. Here's one right here. Uh, This is by a, a very fine young artist. Here, let me turn it on. That uh, sold for $2,000. Makes a lot of money uh, actually doing these things. But now I'd like to turn your attention to this work by um, an artist who is a World War I veteran. Actually, I, I don't feel that this, for me, says what he intended it to say. And yet there are those who, who listen to it and, and it says a great deal to them. Well, here, uh, I'll turn it on and, you, and you'll see what I mean. You can see that, that he uses limited color range. Of course, that's understandable. I'm glad that it's here, though. But, uh... Enough of that. Let's go on to the next uh, work that I want you to see. Now, this is a sound painting that is indicative of the neurotic feeling of our time. The artist is very young, shows great promise, and I'm glad that uh, the work is exhibited here. Let me turn this painting on and... I think you can see my point. Uh, now the artist that did this, fortunately, is uh, under sedatives at the moment, and uh, we expect that his later work will be much calmer and quieter. And but we do like to give these young neurotic artists a chance, and so I'm glad that the museum has been big about the whole thing, as it were. But, but let's go on, because uh, there's one work here that's been done by Janus Cunningham. Uh, this is a professor from another country, actually, but his work is revered here. We have quite a few of his works, but this particular one I want you to listen to very carefully because it has a, an exquisite sense of rhythm. This is a, a young man who has six children, and it's amazing to me that he can turn out this kind of work at home with the children around. But he says that they help him. If you'll read it, Cunningham, it says... Dedicated to my six children. Well, here, uh, I'll turn it on and you can hear it for yourself. Just beautiful. Yes, that uh, is one work that the museum should well be proud of. However, I would like to have you come with me now and we'll open this black door at the end of the corridor here I won't be able to keep it open very long and I think you'll understand why here I'll open it like this just a crack and you listen See what I mean? I'll close the door. It's a reason it's black. Here, uh, let me open up this door. It's just covered with beautiful colors. And we'll hear what's on the other side of this door.